His lectures have gone viral, so perhaps he requires no introduction at this point. He's an Emmy-winning sociology professor based in the United States, capturing the minds of hundreds of students each semester for his conversation-driven classrooms that cover race, gender, cultural relations, and everything far and wide in between. Army might be pleased to hear he had also predicted BTS's global success, particularly in the competitive American music market, years before it happened. Does he have insights into the future? What gives? We're now joined by Professor Sam Richards at Penn State University, who joins us to share his perspectives on some of Korea's pressing social and cultural issues. Good morning, and thank you for joining us, Dr. Richards. Oh, thanks for inviting me. I'm really happy to be here. I mean, you've gone viral. I've seen so many of your lectures with Korean subtitles, which indicates that you're quite popular amongst the Korean audience, too. Um, that would seem to be the case, indeed. So yes. you're very well aware of your popularity. <laughs> yeah, and, and I enjoy it, you know, because um, the Korean audience is a very advanced audience uh, intellectually and, and culturally and so on. So it's, it's really fun for me and it's interesting for me to be able to engage people from Korea. I hope uh, in our conversation, Dr. Richards, we're able to pick your brain on some of the maybe insights you've got from Korean listeners and viewers, too. But just to set the tone, in case our listeners have yet to see one of your lectures, I mean, you cover such a wide range of topics. I don't know how best to explain it, but some of the topics that caught our attention, Asian cool, white privilege in dealing with different cultures, you also seem to encourage curiosity and focus more on the positives of each society and the cultural fabric. Can you first... First, tell us more about the range of topics, how you choose these topics, and also about your teaching style. Yeah, well, you know, I, I love people, and I love people who are different from me. And being a sociologist, that means culturally different from me. And and I started traveling at a, at a rather young age. I think I was 20 when I first went overseas. And, and, and from that particular trip, I decided, hey, I'm going to just do this my entire life which means that I've had the opportunity to go to many, many places around the world um, and, and learn from people around the world. And I'm very much a generalist. So academically speaking, um, there are a lot of academics like myself that we, we kind of di dive down the rabbit hole to become an expert on a particular topic. And I think I really became an expert on comparing cultures and systems and the sociological structures of the world. So, uh, you know, once I realized that once I started teaching this really large class um, and and having students enroll from all over the world, I started meeting people with experiences that were absolutely fascinating. And so I, I thought, hey, you know what, they, uh, students, they don't want to listen to me. And, and increasingly, strangely enough, like I'm now at an age when I think I might have something valuable to say. Um, but the reality is the students would rather hear from other students. And so I get these students from different parts of the world and ask them questions and then ask Americans questions that would be of interest to people around the world. So that, that's how I that's how I work it out. Uh, on each class, then, how do you choose your topics, considering that, you know, you have a map of the world in your background? How appropriate is that? You're well-traveled and your topics can come from just about any walks of life yeah. and any culture. So yeah. it might be difficult to narrow it down as your self-proclaimed generalist. 
Well, you know, here, here's an example. Uh, yeah, every class is different, right? So I've been teaching this class for 32 years, 33 years, and everyone is different. I never do the same thing twice. That means 60 times per year I, I have to write a script, so to speak, right? Come up with something. Last semester, I had a student in class whose parents are deaf. And so she's the, the a coda, we say in English, coda, child of a deaf adult. And I said, oh, wait, hang on a second. So you live with parents who cannot hear. And my brain immediately kicked in and I said, hey, do you think you can invite your parents to class? Because this would be really interesting. And so she, so she did, she, her father came and we had a whole class about deaf culture. Mm-hmm. And I know something about deaf culture um, just because it's just part of my life. But, but that would be an example of, I had a student in class who um, was able to uh, bring her life into the classroom and then we shared it with the rest of the class. So there was a whole, you know, 75 minutes on this. Or, you know, next Tuesday, there's a young man from Korea who's coming, became a fan of the class, um, Bae Bong Jun, and he's a cellist. And he reached out to me and said, hey, I, I'm a fan. I would really love to come and 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 perform for your class. So he's coming all the way from Korea next week to perform. Dr. Richards, that's so exciting. Uh, But here is the the really careful part of me. Um, I want to ask, I mean, because some of these issues that you bring up in your classroom are what one might deem as hypersensitive. Were you you never afraid that the conversation can, you know, offend someone or, you know, take a different course where people just not resort to kindness, but start taking it apart? Mm. Well, you know, if you listen to me, sometimes people imagine that I'm just winging it, as we say, mm. right? I'm just freewheeling it. But I, I know where the landmines are, right? I know the things to not touch. And mm. and I know the things that would be offensive. Now, mind you, I'm, I offend somebody. Every class, I offend somebody because we're talking about sensitive issues. So mm. it doesn't matter what I say, I'm going to offend somebody. Even by not saying something, I will offend someone. But but I have a pretty good idea mm. how to do that. And and. You know, so I'm politically savvy, I think we would say. And students follow your lead. Uh, There's no doubt that you command the classroom in a way that you create these boundaries. And I just I just thought it was so beautiful that students, you know, work off of each other's energy. And it's so exciting. Now, I want to focus on one of your classes. You focus on an interesting survey and what people in different countries value most in life. Majority of the countries, including European, many European countries and even Japan, all picked family as the most important thing that makes life meaningful. But South Korea valued material well-being the most. <laughs> what do you make of this as I uncomfortably say that out loud? Okay, so th- that's an example of me seeing a survey and seeing that about South Korea. And and I, I just have an intuitive sense that that is interesting. So let's talk about it. Um, well, you know, the thing is, it, with with this particular survey, I know that uh, with Korea's long history of economic struggles and the fact that Korea was a very poor country in the in the recent in recent history, um, that actually I was able to turn that around because supporting material well-being in Korea doesn't mean what it means in other countries around the world. Uh. For Koreans, what that means is, hey, I'm going to support my family and my community by pursuing material well-being. In fact, in some ways, I'll sacrifice myself, my own goals, my own ideals, 
my desires in order to pursue material well-being in order to support my family and my community. And so that's not necessarily what it means in other places, but in a communitarian oriented society like Korea, that's what that means. And so it's kind of, it's a very interesting survey in mm. that sense. Yeah. Dr. Richards, I can see how you frame the conversation in your classroom. You already have the answers provided and context in which to guide these discussion. Uh, this is so exciting for me. Uh, Here's a problem that we discuss daily on our program, the low fertility rate in South Korea. It seems the life as we know it, it seems unsustainable at this rate. Uh, the survey results led to another discussion on the immersed pressure and financial burden that South Koreans may face. Perhaps we prioritize material well-being for the sake of our family. We need to stabilize those things. Uh, and it costs money to raise children in South Korea, send them to certain academies and send them to prestigious universities. Uh, this leads us to our next question. While South Korea continues to shatter its own record of the world's lowest fertility rate, which has now dropped to below one, the U.S. maintains a relatively healthy rate of 1.7, France at 1.9. What do you suppose Korea's biggest problem is when compared to those developed economies? Well, first off, it's not just below one, it's 0.8. And, uh, and, and there's a big difference between 0.8 and just uh, slightly below one. Um, you know, first, the, the way to think about this is every more developed country, industrialized country around the world is struggling with low birth rates. Mm. The only, in fact, the only more developed, more democratically oriented country that is not is Israel, Israel and Palestine. And that's simply because Jews and Palestinians are having some kind of competition to see who can have the most children in order to kind of win the majority vote. Um, so every single society is struggling with this. Uh, and because you need two point, every woman of childbearing age has to have 2.2 children, 2.1 children in order for that society to reproduce. Otherwise you have to go elsewhere. So the only place in the world that has really high, consistently high fertility rates is our countries in Africa. Mm. So it's very, it's, it's a problem that Korea is it because you're a small society of just over 50 million people it's a it's a problem that korea is really going to have to struggle with is is going to come back and hurt the economy mm. in ways that are quite predictable actually and so it is something that is going to need to be addressed and i don't really know how to address it i mean i have ideas of course but <laughs> I know that, you know, there are very smart people in Korea who are trying to figure this out. Um, people are much smarter than I am. And but it but it is very serious, actually. Mm. Yeah. Dr. Richards, eventually, if we do have time in the future, because I think that's a whole separate topic, I, I would love to hear what your ideas may be, because it feels like on a daily day-to-day -day conversation, we fall short of, for example, throwing money at, at, at prospective parents to have children. It seems widely ineffective, so there must be a better way. But just because I want to make time for this next topic, I, I just want to move on. You're a musician. I, I heard that you were a drummer since you were very, very young, and perhaps House, you're you're more inclined to make these judgments about when K-pop will you know, make it. And you made this prediction in your classroom. If you don't know these boys of BTS, you ought to know them because eventually they're going to become so popular that you'll recognize it. Only to discover a year later, you asked the same question and majority of the classroom 
knew BTS. Uh, how did you know BTS was going to have this major breakthrough? And in your view, what were the factors that drove K-pop's global success? Yeah, well, you know, I've been listening to K-pop for uh, as a, I'm a I call myself an ethnomusicologist, meaning that I, I listen to music from all over the world. I sit here at my computer and I and I work and I'll put on music from some particular culture, obscure culture, and listen to it. But I've been listening to K-pop, and what really drew me, or has always drawn me to K-pop, is just the the. It's very tight. It's music that's that's very tight. It's um. It's not vulgar. It's not. It's. Uh, mm. I, I, I like the rhythms. The it's. It's really pops, as we say, um, in in the music world. And so um, I knew, as I watched different bands emerge, and I watched the, the kind of the energy that got behind them inside of Korea. I said, Hey, it's only a matter of time before one of these bands just takes over the global arena. Mm. And, and I had been waiting for a number of years for that to happen. And, I, you know, back in the day, I thought, you know, maybe girls generation, that was the first one I thought. And then I thought, ah, it's not going to be a, 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 a girl band or a woman band. I, it's not, it's gotta be a boy band. It's gotta be met just to take over the world. Right. Mm. I just had this idea. That's not a sexist thing. It just felt like, no, it's going to be young men. I mean, I think of the Beatles and their domination and there's comparisons yeah. made to them. So I, I, I can make that assumption too. Sure. Sure. It had uh, to be a boy. Yeah. Band. So, so it was, so when I, when I heard that, you know, I kind of li- I listened to BTS and I and I felt the energy behind them and I heard they broke one one particular record and I said that's the band man this is the one that's gonna that's gonna jump I didn't say that you will recognize them what I said in my class was this will be the most popular musical performance group in the entire world right and I think it probably was true (laughs) it certainly garnered a lot of attention many headlines in South Korea too but earlier on the program we also talked about the fact that you know South Korean K-pop despite its massive influence that we cannot undermine it still only takes up a pretty tiny portion of the music market at whole around two percent and hybe entertainment founder and ceo pang shiok said on the record these are the limitations we wanted to get to the next level do you think k-pop needs to readjust maybe make more english songs in order to reach a wider audience i know this is not you know on on our uh, prepared questionnaire but i just thought maybe i could pick your brain No, I think so. I, I actually think that what, what we what we see, and we don't even—it's not just in Korea, but we're, we're seeing this in genres of music around the world. That musicians from different genres, different backgrounds, and different countries and cultures—they come together and they partner and they create with musicians from other cultures. And uh, and when, when that happens, uh, it, it, it invariably, um, what you're doing is you're pulling populations in. From two different cultures or three sometimes and then you're introducing musicians and and types of music to people of a particular culture and so i think i see this and you know with k-pop artists when they partner with american mm-hmm. artists or african artists or latino artists or european i see these songs really take off in ways and they took off among certain communities so i think that's going to have to continue to happen for I- sure Dr. Richards, unfortunately, we're quickly running out of time because it's a live show. Only about a minute on the clock, but I have to ask you this. How is Korean culture different from others and what are some of its standout qualities? Well, yeah, listen, first, just to educate. The focus on education is just beyond. Uh, I, I can't even say enough about that. And, you know, mm-hmm. right. Um, and and so th- that's that's essential. The second thing is it's 
you know, Korean culture has a like this East Asian Confucian Buddhist communitarian orientation to its moral order. And that's very important, meaning that when people make decisions about what is right and what is wrong, and when they think about what they want and what's important for the world, they, they consider the lives and the values and the understanding of people around them just as much as they think about what they want as individuals. And that's essential. That's a core component of Korean culture that has to be understood. Dr. Richards, we appreciate uh, the comments. Um, I want to tune into your classroom. I know you upload some of your classes, or is it all of your classes online? Uh, I want to see the cello performance. Yeah, they are. We have that. We we've reached almost a hundred million views actually on different platforms. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. So I put them all online. Yeah. <laughs> Next Tuesday, by the way, with this guest coming from Korea, this is going to be a really good class. Thank you very much, uh, Dr. Richards. Uh, we appreciate the uh, insights. Okay, thank you. Thanks for inviting me. If you're listening to our program using the podcast service, just a reminder that we do go live Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. Korea Standard Time. So tune in and help us make the show more informative by giving us your input. See you bright and early on Good Morning Seoul.